0: Is it the actual failure that is the end in itself? Or is it the willingness to fail, the expectation of failure, the acceptance of failure, the desirability of failure? Can you imagine making failure desirable? Can you imagine aiming at failure? Can you appreciate making failure your goal? You can if you have the right idea about the word failure. What I hope to convince you is the scientific version of failure. It is more than a stupid error, more than a shortcoming on your part, more than a miscalculation, more even than a chance to improve. Yes, more even than failures as life lessons. I know we all believe that a failure can be valuable if you learn something from it. After all, that's what we call experience. But how about a failure that does not aim at later self-improvement? How about failures that really are an end in themselves? In this sense, virtually all of science is a failure that is an end in itself. This is because scientific discoveries and facts are provisional. Science is constantly being revised. It may be successful for a time. It may remain successful even after it has been shown to be wrong in some essential way. That may seem strange, but good science is rarely completely wrong, just as it is never really completely right. The process is iterative. We scientists hop from failure to failure, happy with the interim results because they work so well and often are pretty close to the real thing. Newton was famously wrong about two little things, time and space. They are not absolute. Gravity is not explained by the attraction between the centers of massive bodies, although it looks that way and can be usefully described that way. To the extent that we can explain it at all, it seems to be best understood, for now, as an emergent phenomenon of mass creating curvature in space. An imperfect but useful analogy is the way a heavy bowling ball on a mattress causes a depression, and things placed on the mattress tend to fall toward it, as if they were being attracted to it. But Newton's failure in that one regard, even though it seems like a fundamental part of the theory of gravity, is not at all fatal to the success of his work. His equations quite accurately describe action at a distance between two bodies. Sufficiently well to calculate how to dock a rocket with a space station orbiting some 250 miles away and moving at a speed of 17,000 miles per hour. Nonetheless there was a nagging inconsistency in Newton's model over what appeared as two different kinds of gravity. This inconsistency was what needled Einstein so much that he was ready to take a most unintuitive, illogical perspective. Although it's not exactly how Einstein thought about it, these two kinds of gravity are most easily experienced as the loss of gravity, weightlessness. One of them can be felt as distance from a massive body, the weightlessness experienced in outer space, and the other is due to acceleration the weightless feeling you would have in a rapidly dropping elevator. They seem to be from two different and unrelated causes, the mass of a nearby body and the force raised by inertia or acceleration. Two hundred and fifty years later, Einstein essentially corrected the failure of that part of Newtonian mechanics by showing that, in the correct inertial frame, one that does not assume absolute time or space, the two kinds of gravity are the same. Granted, it turned out to be a rather major correction, requiring a Copernican-sized shift in our point of view. But as with Copernicus, it didn't require throwing everything else out. We continue to live our everyday lives in a Newtonian world where space and time seem sufficiently absolute, just as we continue to live most of our lives in a pre-Copernican world where the sun rises and sets. That oversimplifies the story a great deal, But the point is that Newton was successfully wrong, and it was the very failed part of his model that led to Einstein's remarkable insights. Pretty good work. A failure can be even less successful, that is, wholly incorrect, and still useful. An example from biology might be the long-standing principle known as ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. This tongue twister of a phrase. Coined in 1866 by the father of embryology, Ernst Haeckel, is simply a slightly bizarre attempt at making a complicated concept memorable by forming a jingle about it. It means that over the course of its development, an embryo in the egg, or uterus, appears to go through all the stages of evolution of that organism.